Turn in your Bible, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have a special focus this morning on one of our key responsibilities as a church and as individuals. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that truth. Thank you, Lord, for shining that light in our hearts to see who Jesus is, to know who he is, to love him to receive and believe his gospel, your gospel. Father, we pray that you would embolden and equip us to to share that gospel, to share our faith that the truth of your son and how he came to save us from our sins. In his name, amen. Well, we believe here that we have at Canyon Bible Church, as individuals and as a church, three key responsibilities They are worshiping properly, discipling faithfully, and equipping continually. Within discipling faithfully, that includes making disciples, as Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. But within making disciples, there is a part of that where we are making new disciples. And as well as helping one another and discipling one another to grow in our love and our faith, for the Lord. Well, this morning's focus is on making new disciples. Um, it's often called evangelism. It's often called sharing our faith. It's called sometimes missions. The world calls it proselytizing. <laughs> now, for some of us, this may not be a surprise that th- this is something we're all supposed to be engaged in if we believe in Jesus, but almost 30% of Christians today, according to Barna Research, almost 30% of Christians were surprised that it was a responsibility of Christians to share their faith. The same research revealed that 65% of Christians believe sharing their faith is the personal responsibility, but the other 35% were either not sure or, or didn't think it was a responsibility. So that seems pretty high. That's a pretty good number. 65% of us know that we should be. But church, we don't end up often sharing our faith that often, do we? It's not that we don't want to. It's not that we don't 
know that it's important. And that's something that people overlook when they talk about missions. You know, a lot of times people come up and they say, let's talk about missions. And then they throw those statistics, right? And they say, you know, the, some of us don't even know we're supposed to and, and how we're not. And, but we're, we just get frustrated because we know we're supposed to. Here, here's some encouraging numbers for us. According to different Barna research, over 95% of us here in church believe that witnessing for Jesus is an important part of our faith. So that's encouraging. I mean, hardly ever do you get in the 90 percentile for anything in, in research, in polling. Over 94% of us believe that the best thing that ever could happen to anybody is to come to know Jesus. So those are really good numbers. We know this is important, and we know that this is a really good thing to be involved with constantly sharing the gospel. We really do want people to know Jesus, and it's an important part of a strong faith. We just don't want to be the ones to actually do it, right? According to a 1993 book, and this is funny because everybody just parrots this guy, and his last name is Parrot, so I didn't even mean for that to be a pun, but everybody, everybody copies him because he wrote the book back in 1993, and he came up with this statistic. I cannot verify it. I don't know if it is verifiable. I don't know if it's even up to date, but nobody's replaced it since then, so that's why I'm quoting this 1993 book. But according to this, 95% of Christians have never led someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Now why? If we all know it's important, we all really want it to happen, why don't we do it? Well, some of the most commonly cited reasons include fear, a lack of opportunity, we just feel unequipped, we're just so busy. So those are the lead, some of the leading questions. Now, working backwards, being too busy, um, Here's the question, right? I mean, would you be too busy if you were driving down the street and saw a child crawling across the street? <laughs> would you be too busy to stop, pull over, and save the child? Of course not, right? Sometimes we've got to change our thinking about where people stand before the Lord and, and how much they need the Lord because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what today holds. We would never be too busy to save someone physically. We need to make sure that we're never too busy to bring someone to Jesus so they can be saved. And other times, we just need to realize that we can share our faith with people even when we're really busy in an instant. Just in a three-second conversation, we can share a faith. We, don't have, we may not be able to, and, and most likely in three seconds, you can't get a whole gospel presentation now, <laughs> but we can share our faith. We can live our faith. And this sort of goes along with feeling unequipped and lacking opportunity. We can create opportunities for sharing the gospel, for sharing our faith when there is time. And we can be equipped. Each one of us can be equipped to share simply by talking like a Christian. You know, people talk about people at church. You have all those church words, grace, and, you know, the thanks, thankfulness and thanksgiving. You know, nobody uses that except in November. Um, yeah, being saved and salvation and, you know, all that church jargon. And, and sometimes, you know, that really strikes people's ears. They hear those things that they don't ever hear anywhere else. Sometimes that's not a bad thing to hear you talking like a Christian. And those are ways that we can create opportunities. Those, those are ways that we can begin to share our faith and to open up opportunities. A few weeks ago, we had a hailstorm come through, and it um, made a lot of dents on one of our vehicles, our, our truck. 
So I had to bring the truck in to, to get it repaired, and, and uh, when they called and said it was ready, I decided, well, I'll ride my bicycle from my home in Chino Valley to the dealership at the top of the hill here in Prescott. <laughs> it was quite a ride. <laughs> when they called and said it was ready, I, I told him, okay, I'll be there as soon as I can. It'll be, you know, some time. I'm going to be riding in. And apparently he thought that was um, a story to tell, and he decided to tell that story to a lot of people around. So when I rode my bike into the dealership to pick up the truck, I had three or four different people coming and looking at me, and you rode that bike, huh? You know, just as they were passing by, yes, I did. God bless you. <laughs> and so not only was I the strange guy that rode a bicycle in from Tino, I was the guy that just said, God bless you. One man came up and I, he really, we didn't get to finish our conversation, but he came and he said, you rode your bike. That's, that's crazy. You must have a lot of trust in the drivers around you. <laughs> now in that split second in my mind, I could tell a joke like, there's no way you can trust any of those drivers, right? I mean, you know, they're, they're steel cages. You'll, you know, I've got a side mirror in my glasses so I can watch them. I'm always watching. I, I don't trust anybody. Or I can say what the Lord gave me to say at that moment. I said, no, I trust the Lord. <laughs> and he said, wow, that was a good answer. <laughs> so we, I started to talk, and then the man came up so that I could give him the check to pay for the repairs of the damage on the truck, and that's all I had time to say, and that's all we had time to do, but Lord willing, that conversation will stick out in his mind. And that can be just an open door for the Lord to begin to work in, in him, in his heart, in his mind. Maybe he's already a believer, and he just needed to be encouraged that, wow, there are other believers. Maybe he doesn't know the Lord, and he needs to know that there are people that do, and they're not that strange. Well, actually, I guess <laughs> some of us are pretty strange, but <laughs> fear, though, is by far the biggest expressed reason or underlying reason that we're not sharing our faith with people. But it's not fear like we're thinking like, oh, we're just, we're all cowards, we're all spineless. That, that's not what we're talking about, and that's not what we mean when we say fear. Um, fear, in this sense, just means that thought that keeps you from saying what you would say. Right, just the, that excuse—the reason that you give to yourself for the for the reason that you don't say what you could say—it's because of what our culture is telling us. Our culture be, is becoming increasingly secular, and we're being told to back off in our faith, aren't we? Just keep it to yourself. They tell us that sharing our faith is condescending on others. You know, how can you be so condescending to to tell someone that you have a better way than they do? None of us wants to be condescending. None of us wants to come across that way. Maybe we should just keep quiet. They say it's disrespectful of others. You, you need to respect other people, what they believe, what they think, their culture, their background, their habits, and, and everything that they believe, all their traditions. It's a complete lack of respect just to trample all over those uh, beliefs as if trying to convince them that they're just, their beliefs aren't good enough. They're not good enough for their life. They're not good enough for what happens after they die. And none of us want to be disrespectful. None of us want to be destroying anything. That's another one. It destroys belief systems, especially native or minority belief systems. That, right? That's a claim that is leveled against Christianity. It's come to be thought of as a white man's religion. 
It's one of the largest religions in the world. It's a, it's a majority religion. Therefore, within the, the Marxist critical theory that is pervading our society, our culture right now, there are oppressors and there are oppressees, <laughs> people who oppress and people who are being oppressed. And so you are being an oppressor and oppressing people's beliefs and destroying their cultures and their traditions. Some even go so far as to say that evangelizing, proselytizing, and in, in, again, the, the word the world uses, induces anxiety or it furthers anxiety among people who are already very anxious. They become unsure about themselves, about the world, when you present them with this alternate, alternative point of view, and you should just leave them alone. After all, inducing anxiety or furthering it can lead to aggression and even violence. And so we're, we're told all of these, and all of these things are constantly ringing in our ears. It's no wonder that Christians are afraid, again, not fearing, but afraid, giving ourselves many reasons not to talk to people about Jesus. According to Barna Research, if you take the millennial Christians, the Christian generation of millennials, 65% of them believe that it will offend the person they're talking to if they try to talk to someone about Jesus. And that's not actually far off from what millennials overall believe. The, the generation that is so maligned, which um, I think unfairly in a lot of ways, um, 47% of them, almost half of them agree. It's, it's not right. It's wrong to share your faith with someone expecting and hoping that they will convert or believe like you do. Almost half of millennials in the world around us. So we've got this kind of a trap going on in our minds, right? We, we want to evangelize. We know how important it is. We know that we've been told to evangelize by Jesus. But if we try to evangelize, we could really offend someone to the point that they would close them off from hearing anything that we would have to say. And some of you I know out there, oh, I don't care if I offend somebody, I'm going to tell them the truth, <laughs> right? And that's good. We need to tell people the truth. But how do we stop from being a stumbling block? What does it look like to be able to share with others to hear the gospel so that they won't close us off immediately? What do we do? Well, in, in Paul's example here in 2 Corinthians, he gives us three supports, three steadfast supports. We know that we need to make disciples. Jesus told us to do it. How do we stay faithful? How do we remain steadfast in the mission that God has given us? Before we get to them, since we're sort of parachuting into this text... How did Paul get here? Well, Paul had visited this area of Corinth some time ago. It was, a, it was really a flagship model, the area was, uh, of immorality. What it means to be in sin. And there's some debate today over how bad it was. Um, Roman times, it was apparently particularly bad. In Greek times, it was uh, either just as bad or just as bad as the other areas around them. But it was, it was not a, a, a beacon of morality and ethics and uprightness. So Paul began preaching there, and God blessed his ministry as he was there for 18 months. A year and a half Paul spent there preaching the gospel, teaching people. But the church remained fairly confused about a lot of issues, practically and theologically. And so Paul wrote to them 1 Corinthians, where he, he answers many of their questions. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul is spending quite a bit of time having to defend himself. And the reason for that is because some, some people had come in, some false teachers came, and they, they wanted to, to get the people to follow their false teachings. And so the way to do that was, well, let's get them away from the gospel, and let's begin by discrediting Paul who brought them that gospel. And so they were attacking Paul 
And they would say, you can't trust Paul. He changes his mind too easily. His word doesn't stay the same. You know, he changed his mind about coming to you and then not. And well, he's going to come once for a long time instead of twice. And you just can't trust him. You can't trust his word. Uh, They said his message was only for the intellectually elite. You know, he talks about big things like grace and sin and forgiveness and salvation. And, you know, it's just this really big message. He's got a big brain, and it's only for the intellectually elite. It's not for everybody else. You know, it's not for us common people. They said Paul's only in the ministry to get rich. You know, that's why he collects money. They said he's not even a real apostle. He's a phony. He's a fake. And so they attacked him. And so in 2 Corinthians, he's defending himself in this letter, but not for the sake of himself. It's so that they will not abandon the gospel that God used him to bring to them. The gospel is Paul's primary focus. In the letter, while defending himself and encouraging the church to remain true to that gospel. So as we enter these verses, we realize, you know, we don't have the same, the exact same ministry that Paul had, right? We, we know that we are not traveling apostles, capital A apostles from Jesus. We haven't been sent out specifically, personally by Jesus, um, physically and personally uh, being sent out. But we do recognize that we have the same gospel and we have the same great commission to make disciples of all nations, when we all have a part to play in that great commission. And some of us will be really heavily involved and daily involved in that work. And others of us will just a few minutes, a few seconds at a time with people that we come into contact with, people at the mailbox, people at the grocery store, fellow couponers, (laughs) people that we we talk to, the, the person behind the counter that we interact with for about three seconds. How's the weather? Oh, it's great out there. Yeah, it is. I wish I could be out there. Yeah, it's all right. Thanks. Have a nice day. God bless you. Something as simple as that, right? So even though we're not all apostles, we're not all traveling missionary apostles or overseas missionaries, we are all living missionaries enabled by God to share this faith. So this morning, there are three supports for us to be steadfast in, to remain in, so that we will be faithful in carrying out the Great Commission wherever we are in this culture that keeps telling us to keep it to ourselves. Number one, the first one. In our ministries of making disciples, we remain encouraged, verse 1. Remain encouraged. Paul says we do not lose heart. It means we don't quit. (laughs) We don't give up. We don't get discouraged to the point that we just say, well, it's not worth it. We keep doing this and we become encouraged in it and by it. You know, if anybody could have understood rejection from a hostile culture Paul would be the first one in that line, right? I mean, can you imagine talking to somebody about Jesus and they become so angry that they rile up a bunch of other people and they all start literally beating you, trying to kill you until the police happen to walk by and and they break it up and then they take you and then they arrest you. That happened to Paul. Can you imagine talking to some other people in a city and they become so enraged at you that they literally kick you out of their city? So then as you move on to another city, you get there and you start talking to people and the people in the first city hear that you've moved to that city and they follow you to that city, rile up all the people there. They all pick you up, carry you outside the city and and throw large stones at your head and your body until they think you're dead. Well, that also happened to Paul. Many other things happened to Paul. These people were not influenced by modern theories of sensitivity 
and, and mutual respect for others' beliefs, right? They did a lot of other things to Paul and the other apostles, the other missionaries throughout history. Persecution for this faith is not new. It's not a new development. It will include words being hurled at you, maybe rocks, sticks, even potentially bullets, or torture or death. But let's be honest, brothers and sisters, again, most of this is totally unlikely here and now. So don't get discouraged. (laughs) Don't lose heart. Be encouraged in this ministry of making disciples. How, how could we do that? Where would that ministry, I mean, where, where would that encouragement come from? Whether it's words that are hurled at us or stones or sticks or anything else, Paul says it's from the mercy of God. This ministry that we have, it's mercy that gives us this ministry of making disciples. It's God's mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not giving me what I deserve, Right? Instead of wrath and punishment that I deserve, God does not give that to me. He gives me salvation in Jesus. And he lets me be a part of bringing others to Jesus for salvation. Just a few verses earlier in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're bold. We're encouraged. Because we have the mercy of God upon us, and we have the mercy of God not just in salvation, but in getting this this great commission to be sent out, to be God's tool to bringing other people into his mercy. You've got other verses from Galatians 6, don't grow weary in doing good. 1 Corinthians 15, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be encouraged by God's mercy, encouraged in his word. Rejection should not cause us to lose heart. Persecution should not cause us to lose heart. The things that people are going to say against us, that shouldn't get us down. That shouldn't, you know, that should be encouraging. They're they're not really rejecting you as much as they're rejecting the message, but there is going to be a rejection of you. And that's why our hope, that's why our identity, that's why our purpose and our love is found in the Lord, not in other people's approval of us. Look at ministry like this. Look at this great commission this way. Don't look at it the way that the world tells you to see it. You're not a culture destroyer. <laughs> You're not trying to make everybody an American. That, that's not our calling. That's not our desire. I, I know that there are a lot of cultures that are mixed in with the traditions that they have. And, and when you pull someone out of that into the gospel, the, they leave that behind. But that's not destroying that culture that's winning their soul to Jesus for his glory and for their good. So be encouraged at God's mercy. People are being spared. The punishment for their sins, the punishment for our sins that we deserve when we replace our old ways, we replace our sinful ways with God's ways in repentance and faith. There's a second support for us here. In verse 2, in our ministries of making disciples, we remain true to God's word. We remain true to God's word. Paul says we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We've renounced disgraceful, that's hidden, secret ways, and and underhanded, shameful ways. God's word is the message that we carry within ourselves wherever we are, wherever we go, whenever and wherever we are. The whole of God's word. What's the theme? The theme of the whole Bible, John 5, 39, Jesus says, who is the theme of the Bible? Jesus. 
Jesus is the theme. So we carry this word of God, also called the word of Christ. This is what God uses to bring faith to people and to strengthen our own faith. That's why we're carrying it for our own good and for the other people's good around us. So we remain true to his word. This word was completed 2,000 years ago, and it has never been proven wrong or inaccurate or false. It has always proven life-changing, right, and true. The Word of God is a true support for us in reaching out to make disciples. And that's really helpful. It's really helpful to know that because that means that I don't have to try to invent ways to convince somebody to come to Jesus. I don't have to try to come up with something new or, or a way to trick people. You don't have to try to convince or sell the gospel. We're, we're not selling, you know, we're not Amway distributors, if anybody remembers Amway. Um, we're sharing our faith. We're spreading the gospel, making new disciples. It's not about softening it to make it easier for people to understand or, or nicer or, or more acceptable to people. It's not about how many empty promises you can make to people that, well, when you come to Jesus, everything will just get better, Right? It's not about taking impressive stands on contemporary issues that interest or excite people. You know, I'm going to do this and be that, and wow, that's what a Christian is. Okay, a social activist. It's not about calling everybody out there sinners, all those evil, nasty sinners out there, and only talking about all their sins. (laughs) It's not about tricking people into the church. You know, we've got a raffle for a new car. Everybody that comes to church today could win a new car. Get them in the door. It's not about how great you can sound, how intelligent, how skilled you can be. It's, it's not up to you. It's not up to me to try to figure out how to get people, how to win people. We're not independent sales contractors. <laughs> we're disciples. We're just following our Lord. And we're trying to share this faith with people so that they can see that he changes lives. Whether it's through pure motives of wanting people to come to Jesus or selfish motives of wanting to get something out of them, We have a true foundational support for our efforts of spreading the gospel. It's the word of God. It's the word that he's given us. It never changes. It never needs to be updated. It doesn't need our ingenuity and our creativity. God can use those things. (laughs) Those are okay. (laughs) But he doesn't need that. So don't worry, well, I, I am not, I'm not creative enough. I'm, I'm not an interesting enough person. I don't have a, a wow kind of conversion story or, or I, 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 I. <laughs> no. We, we remain true to the word of God. So we need to be true in proclaiming it. If we're really serious about seeing others come to Jesus in repentance and faith, we'll be true to the word of God to proclaim it and also to live it. Right? That's how we're going to be true to the word of God. Being true doesn't mean just talking living it. And that's why Paul says here in verse 2, look at our lives. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Just, just look at us. Anybody and everybody can look at our lives and see that we are purely motivated and purely driven by the Word of God to spread this message of the Word of God so that other people will be saved for the glory of God. So we don't go around calling out every other person for their sin. You know, we don't go around pointing fingers at people. You know, although, you, you know the, the people that go out and, and point, you're, you're an abortion provider. You know, you, you do this and you are a sinner because you do that. And that, of course, we know is wrong. We should be doing whatever we can to stop it. But divorce is just as much of a sin. 
and a violent sin at that. Greed in the world is wrong, and people out there that are, that are greedy, and corporations that are so greedy, and we, you know, they trample all over people to get their profit, but gossip tramples all over people the same, in not the same way, but in similar ways. It tramples all over people. You know, we can't have the sins that are out there that, that they all do and the sins that we do that are okay. Sin has to be called sin. Lovingly and caringly, not harshly and brutally. And it has to start within ourselves. You know, the question is, who is the worst sinner? What's the worst kind of sinner I can think of? And the answer needs to be me. Who's, who's the worst sinner that I can think of? The chief sinner, I mean, the one that leads all the other sinners, all that... That's me. I'm the, I'm the front of that line. Jesus has some very strong words for calling out sin. But they were reserved for religious leaders that should have known better. For everybody else, when he talks to them about sin, he calls it sin, but it's in loving and gentle ways, and it was so that they could see their sin, turn away from it, and believe in him. In fact, there's only one time in the entire New Testament that I could find where somebody calls out the sin of a government leader. Only one time, John the Baptist to Herod Antipas. And that was because Herod Antipas was saying, I'm a good Jewish leader, I'm a Jewish leader. You know, he wasn't Jewish specifically, personally, physically, but uh, he was trying to be that good Jewish leader. So John the Baptist said, well, if you're trying to be a good Jewish leader, then you can't be taking your brother Philip's wife. So we need to be doing a lot less of this, a lot less wagging our fingers at people and doing a lot more... This, inviting people with our whole hand. Come, you need to hear the truth spoken in love and lived out. You need to see it lived out. You need to hear it spoken. They need to see us and they need us to be true to the word of God and that's it. And not, not hiding in it, you know, Romans 1.16, I am, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God's salvation. For everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we have this support of the word of God. The word of God that we hold to, that we, that we live by, that we speak, that we are encouraged by, that we sing, that we pray. But not only do we have the support of the word of God, the encouragement of God and his mercy, we have number three, in our ministries of making disciples, we remain fully dependent on God. We're fully dependent on God, verses three through six teach us. You know, one of the charges leveled against Paul was that he was peddling a gospel that only certain people could understand. Remember, the intellectually elite, the only the smart people. For everybody else, it was at best unclear or at worst, totally obscure and wrong. And Paul says maybe the message is veiled, even if it is. And this veil that he's talking about comes from chapter 3, how the, the Jewish people read the Old Testament scriptures. They have God's word in the Old Testament, but, but they're blinded to the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. There's a veil that lies over their hearts. It prevents them from understanding. Here in chapter 4, he's talking about not just Jews, but everybody. Not just the unbelieving Jews, but the unbelieving Gentiles. Every person is prevented from seeing the truth by this veil. Today, people will accuse us of a message that doesn't make sense. You know? Oh, that doesn't make any sense. It, it's, it's offensive. Tell people they're sinners. It's unscientific, the message that you have. 
It's too black and white. It's too rigid. Whatever else they level against Christianity, they're going to tell us, well, you know, don't listen to that gospel. Don't listen to that message. It's not worth it. But here's the great news for us. Not only do we not depend on our own ingenuity to update the gospel, not only do we remain faithful to the message that God gave us, there's nothing else we can do because we're not strong enough. We're not able to get somebody to accept the gospel. We're not strong enough. We don't have the ability to make somebody believe. We're totally and completely dependent on God. Paul says in verse 5, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what we're doing, and God does the rest. That's not just a good thing to know. It's the only way a person can be saved. Look who we're up against when we're trying to spread the gospel and we're sharing our faith. In verse 3, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing Those who are perishing are in contrast to those who will never perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. These are unsaved people, and it's how we should view them in compassion, in in mercy, not in judgment. They're perishing. They're the child in the middle of the street. They, They need someone to bring them back. If the gospel is hard to understand or receive, it's only for those who don't have it yet, Lord willing, because the God of this world has blinded their minds. We have a very real enemy who is very active in blinding people, doing all that he can to keep the word of God away from them, to keep it out of their hearts. Jesus told us the parable about that. In Matthew 13, Satan is like the birds that come and snatch the seeds away before they can even go down into the heart, the seed of the word of God. Here, Satan, the, the God of this world, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world in John 12, 31. He's a powerful enemy, and, and the people of the world don't even know he's their God. He's blinded them to who he is, but they follow him, and they don't know it. But he's blinding people to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God. He came to this earth, and he never sinned one time. He never did anything wrong. He was the perfect image of God. He was God himself. Not just was he the perfect man who was living in God's image. He was God here on earth. And it was, and it's in his glory for sinners to be saved by his grace. He is glorious and he's eternal and he's all-knowing, he's all-seeing, he's all-powerful. But he laid all that aside just to come to here to be the one who would save us from our inescapable punishment our eternal punishment that was due to us, that that was our destiny. That was what was going to happen 100% without a doubt. There was nothing we could do about it until Jesus came and took it from us. He is the Lord. He's the Savior. He's the one that we all need to bow before and love and worship and adore and believe in. As for us, we're just slaves. That's the word here in, in, the, in the verses here. We're just slaves. We're, we're your slaves for God's sake. And that's Paul's example. We don't lord over people. We don't look down on, you know, you terrible sinners out there. We've got the righteousness of Christ. (laughs) It's his righteousness to us. It's not our own righteousness that brings us salvation. So we're proclaiming it in life and in word, and here's why. Because it's God who does the work to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in their heart and in their mind just like when in Genesis 1, as we're studying together, just like when God said, let there be light, the same power, the same God does that in our hearts, in the human heart, the dark human 
heart of formlessness and void, God brings light and he brings form and then he inhabits the heart. So it's no longer formless and void and God does that in salvation. He's done that for all of us who are saved. He'll do that for those that we will bring to Jesus. That's why we're totally dependent on God for this work. That's how we can be steadfast and faithful no matter who rejects it, no matter who comes at us, no matter what they say, the words or the the tools or whatever they use to try to come at us. We have God working. He does the real work. Only God can give sight where Satan has blinded. Only God can remove the veil that's over people's hearts. Only God can speak light into the dark heart of a sinful human being like me. We don't do that. Our words can't do that. Our creativity, our ingenuity, our, our trickery, any of that stuff that we would try to use that we can't use, it doesn't work. Only God can do it. And he uses us when we share this faith in Jesus. So, so why would we talk about ourselves? We, we don't proclaim ourselves. Paul's not saying we don't share our testimony. We do share our testimony because our testimony shows how much God is our Savior, how, how powerful and how good God is. We don't talk about all the good we're doing. We talk about all that the Lord is doing in us. We don't pre- preach ourselves. We don't proclaim ourselves. We preach, we proclaim Jesus as Lord. And we don't get distracted by the things in this world. He is our Lord. We're slaves to bring people to him. That's what Paul calls us. And it's all for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of Christ, our Savior. And so this is the example that Paul gives us. And these are the three supports that he gives us in this great commission. As we're here in this world, this hostile world to this message. Here's what he gives us. Here's here's the help that he had. Here's the help that we have. Our application as we begin to to think about what it looks like and and how we can be more committed, more faithful to to live this, to, to speak this, to preach this to people. Application, make new disciples. <laughs> make new disciples. Just be faithful to do that. Whatever role he has called you to, you know, again, something as simple as God bless you. It stands out to people. Nobody talks like that. Who says that? <laughs> Christians can say that. Saying, I trust the Lord <laughs> to a stranger. Not being perfect. You know, God doesn't say, well, he does say we need to be perfect as we're following our Savior, and he enables us to grow in our holiness. But we're not going to attain to that part. So until we do, here's what he calls us to. Um, you know, I'm sorry that I, I, I got frustrated. I'm sorry I got angry. Uh, will you forgive me? Have you ever done that at work? People look at you like you've got a, two heads or something. What? <laughs> People mess up at work, they just move on and they just want you to forget about it. You know, for, for a Christian to be talking like that, what? See, it doesn't take you going out there and, and thumping people over the head with Bibles. It doesn't take us to be out there preaching on the street corners, though we can do that and God blesses those ministries also. It can just take us in our jobs, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at the mailbox, in the line at the grocery store. This, that is success in sharing our faith. Not counting the notches of people who respond, we may not get a single response. But the Lord is going to respond, and he, he blesses those efforts. Next in application, depend on encouragement from God's mercy. 
encouragement from God's mercy. I mean, his mercy encourages us. His word is the next one. His word encourages us and gives us the content and the message and the motivation and and the blessing. And finally, his work. Depend on the encouragement from God's mercy, his word, and his work. We're on God's side. Who can stand against us? He tells us to be faithful in a small part, in a small way. This is what he calls us to. He's faithful in every way. He will take care of us. Well, as part of our Mission Sunday focus, we want to highlight for you, brothers and sisters, two new areas of involvement. We, we think of, uh, kind of think of life as circles. We've got the close circles near us. Um, we've got our neighborhood and we've got, you know, the, the mailbox like we were talking about, the people we come into contact with. We've got a, a ministry that we're starting that we're really more continuing, but we're kind of formalizing. We're calling it Canyon Cares. And you'll get more information about it in your email this week and, and next week in announcements. This is a form that you'll be able to look at and to, to consider different ways that you can serve in, in a Canyon Cares kind of ministry, caring for people, um, those who are single parents, those who are widows, those who are fostering, ad- ad- adopting, and have adopted, and different ministries, different ways we can serve, and that we can, we can reach out, we can make new disciples, and that we can disciple those who are already disciples. Another, another avenue that we're working toward is, is being equipped to be able to give counsel, uh, to, to counsel one another, to help one another, to, to minister to one another the Word of God, so that we can be made more in the image of Christ and so that we can help the people around us who are also struggling. The people that don't have answers for anxiety, for depression, for worry, for everything that's going on and everything that happens and what do I do and what? We have real answers in the Word of God. And so we're being equipped in those ways. As the circle grows outside of our area, but still within our own country, we're blessed to talk with you about a new opportunity this morning with Greg and Sherry Lewis, and then expanded even more outside of our country Another new, well, it's new to many of us, but not new to some of us who were here years ago, but an opportunity to share in a ministry called Petra Ministries International. So starting with Greg and Sherry, they wanted to be here with us this morning. They've been a part of our body for the last few years. Um, They're not able to be here this morning as God would have it. But they have been serving in the United Indian Mission International ministry. They first went to Alaska for nine years in 2001 to serve in missionary radio. See, there are different ways for us to serve, right? Different ways that we can serve. Did you hear that, younger people? There's still a thing called radio, and people still listen to it. <laughs> well, at least back in 2001. No, they're still listening to it, and they've had years of ministry in radio, as you'll hear. In 2010, they served, they moved on to the Navajo Reservation, They served for five years there. Uh, Greg did managing the radio while Sherry taught second grade and then worked in the office. And for the last six years, they've continued to serve UIM International in their home office in various ways while never leaving behind that work of support in Alaska. The last few years, some of those ways have included Sherry providing bookkeeping and printing expertise for UIM while Greg has been traveling to different radio stations He's allowing the station managers to have a break. Sometimes these are, these are one-deep positions, and they don't get a break until somebody can come in and, and fill them in on the radio, <laughs> speaking on air. And, and as he likes to say, he, he lets them recharge their batteries. Just get a break. Get away for a minute. 
He's really enjoyed that part of ministry, helping out those managers. One of the stations that they helped out was called K-E-Y-Y Radio in Provo, Utah. And this is what they wanted to share with us this morning. They've entrusted me to share this with you. So if I say something wrong, it's my fault, not theirs, not, not his. But God's plan for them now is to move from here, for, to move from Prescott Valley to Provo, Utah, to work full-time at K-E-Y-Y Radio. And what it will do is we'll bring Greg and Sherry back together. They can work more closely together in ministry. And this is what he says. They started this ministry together. They need to finish together. They've been pulled apart in so many different ways, and they've served in so many areas. But why this ministry? The need for this ministry, K-E-Y-Y Radio in Provo, this is within the U.S. now. It's a very unique and needed ministry because Provo is 90% Latter-day Saints and under 1% Protestant. Less than 1%. This is in, a, in our country, <laughs> in our back door. I mean, Utah is not far away. Life is much different there than many places because Bible-believing churches are few and far between. So K-E-Y-Y Radio partners with these churches and they they take the messages from those churches and they broadcast them out. It's based in Provo, but they have translators in Richfield, Price, Vernal, Payson. They reach much of the Utah Valley. Now again, the Utah Valley is about 82% LDS, Latter-day Saints, Mormons. Utah itself is recognized as by far the most religious state in the U.S., but the least Christian state in the U.S. And and you think about that. You think of California. (laughs) No offense to any of you who have moved here from there. You think of New York, but Utah is the least Christian state in the U.S. The headquarters for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is there in Utah. It has over 14 million members worldwide. The state boasts more than 4,700 wards, 17 temples, and an untold number of LDS-owned businesses. But there's an opportunity here because people are moving into the state from outside. And Greg and Sherry and the believers that they'll be working with see an opening like never before possible to get the truth of the salvation that Jesus Christ, the Bible Jesus Christ, the the real Jesus Christ brings in his word to them. K-E-Y-Y knows the audience and these possibilities opening up, so they tailor their programming so that they can meet those needs. They can get this, this message out to the people. So Greg's part in that is to help produce more local pastors in the small churches who preach to get their gospel messages broadcast on the radio. And then Greg will be on the radio. He'll be able to share the gospel himself as, as he uh, is the voice, is one of the voices there. So how does this reach people? Well, there are people in the LDS church who are searching for the truth. Maybe they talked to a Christian. Maybe somebody said, God bless you, and they went, hey, I don't see you at the LDS. Uh, I don't want to call it a church, but at, at LDS. Maybe they found the answers unsatisfying. Maybe there's whatever God is doing in their heart, as, as they search, they can listen to the radio or they can listen online to a Bible-believing gospel message from a church in their area. Because that's usually, that's, that's, not, that's an oftentimes first step for people who are within the Mormon church. The, the faith there has significant consequences in many areas of your life if you try to leave the Mormon faith, family, social, financial. These are big issues that people are called to make, of course, eternally, but for many people 
in Provo and the surrounding area. It's a life-changing, life-altering decision they need to make. And so they'll listen before they make that decision to leave. So Greg and Sherry will be moving to Provo, Utah to join this work in a needed location. It doesn't hurt that it's a beautiful location also. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a beautiful place. Sherry will be supporting UIM remotely still, but not having to travel to Glendale, but still helping them. She will also join the office at KEYY Radio and provide her expertise in bookkeeping, filing, and more. Greg wanted to use a a very good baseball analogy for her. He said that she's the ultimate utility player. She just does so much, so many different ways, so many areas. So God is good. This is a picture of how God can use us. This is how he's going to be using Greg and Sherry. Here's how they've asked us to pray, and and we'll get these out to you um, in an email. There's information um, at, at a table outside in the lobby over by the Koinonia Corner. They've asked us for those trapped in Mormonism to be freed through faith in Jesus Christ. They ask us to pray with them for Greg and Sherry themselves as they move. All of the logistics, all of the planning that goes into that, and as they transition to full-time ministry with KEYY. They ask us to pray along with them for their grown children, Becca, Luke, and Aaron, to walk with the Lord. And we'll join with all parents for that prayer. They ask us to pray for their financial needs. The work that they're going to be doing is challenging. You could imagine that it would be hard for a radio station like that to get advertising dollars. (laughs) Um, They will not receive a salary. They will be 100% dependent on church and individual support. Uh, So again, more information on the table back there, but they, they will keep us updated. They'll be praying for us, and we'll be praying for them as they go for that. Um, There's another expanding outward even more mission. It's the Petra International uh, Missions. And we don't have as much on this. We just have prayer points for them. (laughs) We won't hold you up. We know there are important things going on today, important ways we can reach out to people and share the gospel, even on a super day like this. (laughs) The work in Nicaragua is where we focus, particularly their work on Ometepe Island. Um, for those of you who have been here for, for several years, many years, uh, you know that this was a mission that we were um, supporting and praying for and, and helping in years past. The pastors and missionaries there have been faithful for years. And um, we'll have more information about the, the ministry and, and specifics, opportunities to pray for involvement and financial support. But for now, these are the urgent prayer requests. They, they're praying that we, will, um, that we will pray along with them for the restart of a camp and farm on the island of Ometepe called La Roca. There are two parts to it. The farm provides resources and food to pastors and to churches um, of Petra, Nicaragua. The camp is where they train up men for service, where they train pastors to plant churches, new churches. Civil unrest and pandemic travel restrictions have shut down both sides of the ministry. Both sides are just, they've been shut down. They want it to restart. They need for it to restart to be able to continue the work there. And so they asked us to pray with them for that and to pray for Pastor Pastor Raphael. He's charged with leading that ministry. And and so he's got a lot of work to do. And then also pray for Pastor Aaron and Betty. They are working to lead a church in the village of, and I'm told it's pronounced Bogwe. It's a village, just a village on the island. And so, um, Pastor Tom, if you would please lead us in, in praying for these points. Um, and we trust, like we said, we'll, we'll get those out to you, and, and we ask that you be praying with us with, for them. Uh, 
Amen. It's, it really is a privilege to come alongside brothers and sisters who are out there in the mission field uh, sharing the gospel and ministering to others. And we here at Canyon, we've, we've had a history of coming alongside those works uh, to encourage and, and provide practical and spiritual support uh, for those endeavors. So it's, uh, it really is an answer to prayer uh, that we would have these opportunities uh, presented to us now. And so we're grateful for the Lord for that. We want to be faithful and obedient to the opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much in Jesus' name that you, are, you do not need us for anything. You are self-sufficient, and yet you invite us, imperfect beings, your servants, your children who have been redeemed by Christ, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And we do pray, because we know that every conversion, every repentant heart that repents and believes in Jesus is a supernatural event performed by God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are the one who convicts. You are the one who convinces. It is your sovereignty over the opportunity to share the gospel. But you've called us to share the gospel, and so we need to be obedient to the opportunity Lord, we pray that we would be obedient to the opportunity. And we ask that as Greg and Sherry go forward into this new work, that, Holy Spirit, you would move ahead of them and touch the hearts of those who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would soften hearts and, and bring to their remembrance their, their, the, the trials and tragedies in their life caused by their sin and, and show them that there is an eternity uh, separate from you if they do not repent and believe. And as Greg and Sherry uh, serve faithfully as they have for so many years. Uh, Lord, bless them and multiply their efforts. They, they've, they've laid out plans. They've written it out in pencil knowing that you can change those plans. And we pray that you would grant favor to them in their plans, that any changes to their plans uh, would be just to make it better, that would be uh, more fruitful and more faithful uh, to the work that you've called them to. And Lord, for... Um, their grown children, Becca, Luke, and Aaron. Lord, being a parent, we never stop caring and being concerned and praying for our children. And as Greg and Sherry move forward to do this important work, it would be a, a, a burden relief for them to know that their children are abiding in you. So, Lord, we do ask that you would uh, work in their hearts and draw them closer to you with noticeable fruit that Greg and Sherry can see that their children are indeed walking with you. It would be a blessing to them. It would be an encouragement to them and a comfort to them so that they can continue to focus on this important work for the kingdom. And Lord, for their financial needs, we ask that you would provide in practical ways through organized churches, through individual believers who have a heart to come alongside in, in supporting missions. Lord, there's many ways that we can be part of the mission work. And some of us can physically go to places, but some of us can't. But you've provided with the funds and finances, the resources, that we can uh, support them in that way. So, Holy Spirit, please touch our hearts and direct us and guide us how we can help serve the kingdom, help in this work of sharing the gospel. Lord, multiply their finances in, in miraculous ways. We've seen that in our lives, that uh, math in the kingdom is not... Not 1 plus 1 equal 2, but 1 plus 1 equal 10, 1 plus 1 equal 20. Uh, your math is not our math. And we would ask that you would divinely and supernaturally multiply the funds, uh, stretch further than they would, they would consider possible, and that they would recognize that it was you, Lord, who intervened 
on their behalf as a result of our prayers for them. So, Lord, please have your, your way and your purposes and plan in Greg and Sherry's new uh, season of ministry. We, we want to come alongside them and, and encourage them and support them as we can, as you guide and provide. Lord, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And for Petra in Nicaragua, Lord, this is a, 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 a level of partnership that we've had over the years with them and faithful brothers and sisters in another part of the world who are sharing the gospel. And we, we do want to uh, come alongside them in prayer for the, for the restart of La Roca, a farm and camp, a training center, Lord, to raise up men who are going to be faithful to share the gospel and to minister to others. And that's the spiritual end of things. And the farm provides food. Oh, Lord, what a wonderful ministry opportunity this is for them. And we pray that you would grant them favor in the midst of civil unrest and this pandemic that continues on, that you would make a way. Lord Jesus, you are the way maker. Whenever we look around in the, in the practical, in the, in the physical world, and we see no way, you come in and you make a way that only you can. And Lord, we pray for that way to be made by you in a, in a way that would show all that it was you, almighty Lord, who intervened in that, on their behalf, that it wasn't man's cleverness or his ability, but your sovereignty in this situation. And Lord, for Pastor Raphael, he's, who's in charge of leading that ministry, we know the burdens uh, that are borne by those who are servants and under shepherds. We pray that you would bless him and encourage him in word and through fellowship of other believers and supernaturally through your spirit, please guide and direct him, give him wisdom and discernment and a creativity that surpasses our understanding uh, to be able to move forward in the ministry in your way and in your timing. And lastly, for Pastor Aaron and Betty, as they work to lead the church in the village of Balway, just grant them favor, equip them, encourage them, they are empowered by your Holy Spirit. Show them all that they have in you is sufficient for the ministry there. For Lord, for all of these requests and, and even those unspoken, we lift them up to you knowing that you are sovereign over all. May you receive great glory through the, these min, missionary works and others be blessed and many come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.